0: so much, Ben. Really appreciate that. It's great to be praying for adventures this morning, particularly those going off, starting a new chapter in their life, following the Lord Jesus into different situations and contexts. We're looking at a letter this morning which is a very active letter. It's full of, full of do's, do this. It's a, it propels us and fuels us, inspires us to follow the Lord Jesus in all kinds of situations. It's a letter written Almost 2,000 years ago, it's extraordinary. Maybe we kind of lose the, uh, the, the wonder of this because we, we spend so much time in God's Word, but this is, this is written thousands of, almost 2,000 years ago, different culture, different setting, and yet it's, it's full of power to speak to us today. It continues to speak to us today. It was written, oh, by the way, it's a letter, letter, called, uh, letter of James. James wrote this to the church. Um, mainly kind of Jewish church, but all believers around about that time, very early on, shortly after Jesus had, uh, had lived and died and risen again and ascended to be with his Father. So we're right back there in the early times of this, of this uh, the beginnings of the church, reading these incredible words. And many think this is the James who was writing, who was Jesus's half-brother, Again, extraordinary to think we might be reading words written by this man who grew up with Jesus. Actually, quite sceptical, it seems, if we kind of uh, look at what was was written, the the testimony here. Perhaps quite sceptical about who Jesus claimed to be. And yet, after he saw Jesus die and rise again, he became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. And he actually rose to prominence in the early church. He was a, one, of, one of the leaders in the early church. And so convinced was he that Jesus was who he said he was. that The evidence seems to point to the fact that he, he died for that. He wouldn't retract that. He said, no, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the one for whom we are waiting. Jesus is the one who died for our sins. And he wasn't going to go back on that. And he ended up dying for that. This is the, this is the man, we think, who wrote these words. But whoever wrote them, these are God's words. God inspired these to be written out hundreds of years ago, but for us, for us right now. And so as we start in this new series, just extraordinary to think that the Lord is going to speak to us. God is going to speak to us. The one who spoke the whole world into being, such is the power of his word. His word is now going to come to us in a life-changing way and propel us and fuel us on the adventures that he's called us to. So it's with great excitement that we start to open this letter, this powerful letter. And we're going to read just a few verses, really, take it a kind of little bit at a time and take our time over this coming term. I'm just going to start by reading the first let's just first four verses of this letter. It starts like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, which is quite a, it's quite a Jewish phrase, um, picking up on some, some themes in the Old Testament. But actually, by faith in Jesus, we're all children of Abraham, the Bible says. And actually, we're all scattered right across the, the world. We've heard this morning about this kind of wave of praise that comes. God's people now scattered in a world that is not our home. I don't know if you're a Christian or a believer, you just get that sense that we don't belong here. This is kind of slightly alien. We look to a new city. We look to a a recreated world where things are right. But at the moment, there's a sense of being scattered. When you go to university, when you go into school, if you're a believer, there'll be a sense in which kind of I don't quite fit here because we're bringing a new creation into being. We're bringing a new kingdom into being in those places, the places that God calls us. And so there's a sense of us being scattered. But let's move on. James then says, Greetings. Now we come to the bit, the few verses that are going to be particularly our focus this morning. Listen to what James says. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." Extraordinary words and worth spending a little bit of time on. This is God speaking to us this morning, perhaps speaking directly and, uh, and uh, providentially in a timely way into the situations that perhaps you're facing this morning. Actually, he starts off, if we read it uh, in your English kind of uh, translation, um, it starts with count it, but it doesn't start with count it in the Greek. I would, I'm not great at learning languages, I, I struggle, but um, the little that I know The Greek is far less tied, the order of the words is less tied to the grammar, and so you can move move words forward in a sentence to give them emphasis, to kind of title what you're about to say, to set the scene for what you're about to say. And James does that here. He actually starts with the words, all joy. He's talking about joy. Joy is primarily on his heart right now. He wants to speak to them about joy. He wants to emphasize joy. And I wonder if you knew that God wants you to be filled with joy. Our Heavenly Father wants you to be filled with joy. He doesn't, he's not a killjoy. God is not a killjoy. He is full of joy and he wants to share his joy with you. And in fact, it's very much his glory that we enjoy him as he shares himself With us in the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, He draws us into His joy. He wants us to be filled with joy, and this topic of joy—it starts this letter, all joy. I called this um, the joy-filled life, but uh, as I thought about it, I I think maybe we'll change it to the joy-fueled life. There's something we 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 sung it the first of as we kind of started off this morning, didn't we? Talk about the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's something about joy that empowers us. And as we go on these adventures, the Lord wants to fill us full of joy, to empower us through actually some quite difficult situations, as we'll see in just a moment. The joy-fueled life. James wants them to live the joy-filled, the joy-fueled life. And that's God's heart for us this morning. But the things he goes on to talk about, in fact, the next kind of word that we'll... Look at is not the things that we normally associate with joy. Sometimes we associate perhaps our team winning the match, and we kind of ecstatic, We're, we're excited about that, we're filled with joy. Maybe it's winning the lottery. Suddenly, kind of life seems much better, although statistically probably it's going to get a lot worse. But we think, yay, hey, I've won, fantastic, and that we can be filled with joy perhaps at that moment. Sometimes it's being united with a loved one or thinking about that. Coming up, that can give us joy, that can strengthen us. Maybe it's been given the all clear from the doctor. We were kind of concerned and just kind of, it was, we were concerned about it, and now we hear this good news. Yeah, all clear. The test results come back well. Maybe it's passing an exam. Everything kind of relied upon as far as you could imagine. You're kind of thinking, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen if I don't pass it. I really want to go to that university or, uh, or study that, at, at whatever it might be, or have that job. You need to pass the exams. And you worked hard, and now you've got the, the results. Wow, it's it's good. They, that can be a joyful situation, can't it? We can enjoy that, or maybe it's sausages for tea, or whatever it is for you. These these things, understandably, they produce joy in us. And we might expect James to go on and talk about those sorts of things, but he doesn't. The next words as we follow on in this sentence are all kinds of trials, all kinds of difficult things, all kinds of painful things that happen to us, the things that don't normally cause us joy. In fact, the things that cause us grief and pain, when, when the results don't come back as we had hoped, when actually we've been sick or, or and that's been going on for a long, long time, relationship difficulties, financial pressures, the loss of our loved ones, these things come to us and they don't cause joy. They cause us grief and sadness, and rightly so. It's important to realize that James is not saying that these things are good, these trials of many kinds. They're not intrinsically good in themselves. There will be no more sin or sickness or death or suffering when God perfects everything and when he makes everything right in the new heavens and new earth. These things are going to be gone. God, they weren't, they, God isn't, isn't behind them in that sense. He doesn't wish them for us. He's gone to great lengths to make sure that this whole earth and all its broken fallenness can be redeemed. And these things can be gone and one day they will and we look forward to that. But right now they're still with us and they do cause us grief and sadness. Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus, didn't he? I, mean, I think he probably knew what was going to happen. He raised him from the dead but still as death entered the world and as he experienced death and those around him there was weeping and rightly so. It's heartbreaking, the things that we experience and the things that we go through. James is not discounting those. Rather, he is reminding them and us of an unexpected source of joy to be found even in the mists of the darkest suffering that we might experience. And he wants us to know it such that we would be sustained by this joy even in this time of now and not yet, where things aren't how God is going to bring them to be in the future. He wants to sustain us through it and out the other side. I don't know if you've... Uh, actually, it's a while ago since I've uh, watched some of Bear, Bear Grill stuff. Um, I haven't had to put any into practice at the moment, so maybe that's why I've stopped uh, using my time like that. But anyway, he would uh, take people through the desert, and um, he would say and you're parched in the desert, the sun is beating down, there's no water anywhere, and he'd stop you, and he'd say, dig there. And the ground looks like everywhere else, and you start digging down, and you keep digging, and you keep digging. And eventually, the ground begins to get wet, like when are on the beach, you know, the ground gets wet, and you keep digging, and there's water there. You've dug down into a water table. You wouldn't have known it was there, looking up at the ground around you. Everything is parched and cracked. But here, as you dig, you dig in the right spot, You find water, and you can continue on your journey. Well, James is doing something like that here. He's saying in the midst of your trials and difficulties and challenges and the pain and hardship of life, there's a place to dig. There's a place to find joy, to sustain you through these things. Because it's not a matter of when, but if. No, that's not right, is it? It's not a matter of if, but when. (laughs) I hope someone's making a list of my, uh, my gaps. What's the last one? Um, you do it Yeah, do, it's, it's, Repentance is 360 degrees. No. Repentance is 180 degrees. Anyway. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you that. I've... You're going to experience trials of many kinds, aren't you? I know many experiencing them right now, walking through difficulties and challenges. It's not a matter of if, but when. When you experience trials of many kinds. This is what to do. This world is fallen, it's not how it's meant to be. Trials will come to us with all their joy-sapping potential to weigh us down, to grind us down, in fact, to make you perhaps turn away from following Jesus. That's the effect sometimes these things can potentially have to us. And followers of Jesus are not less prone to the trials of this life. If anything, history would teach us they're more prone Following Jesus is hard. It gets really hard at times. This life is hard enough as it is. But Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He says, look at what they've done to me. Don't think that they will go lightly on you. Prepare yourselves. Count the cost in following me. But in counting the cost, we also need to know the provision that is there for us. And James is directing us to that provision there's a word here, meet, which kind of caught my attention as well. I thought it was a bit too friendly. It's like when you meet trials of many kinds, it's like, hello, how'd you do? Well, welcome trial. That's not, that's not how it works. And so, again, looking at kind of the language underneath the surface of our translation, the word actually is one of my favourite Greek words. I'm, as I say, I'm rubbish at learning languages, but so I have to have a picture for every single word that I learn. I can't, I can't do words, but I can do pictures. So every single picture, every single word that I try and learn... I have to have a little story with, and this word is peripipto, peripipto, and in my strange world of Marcus Tut, that's a little mouse, (laughs) peripipto, and he's always walking around and getting, he's falling into trouble, he's always kind of getting into scrapes and things, this word is peripipto, It's, it's kind of crashing into difficulty, falling into trouble, Jesus talks about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell among robbers, peripipto. He fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is the way we encounter trials of many kinds in our lives. We're not expecting them, and suddenly we fall among robbers. We feel like we're being beaten up in them. Perhaps every day for you, you feel like just being beaten in each day. You fall into trouble. Luke uses this word when he talks about Paul's ship. He says, striking a reef, again, it's peripiptoe, striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Again, That's how we experience these trials. It's just like, I just, it's bashing against me again and again. I feel like my life is getting broken up as I'm experiencing these trials. James is not dialing down and saying it's not that bad. He's recognising the challenges that each one of us face and will face walking through this fallen world. Life's trials come to us like robbers and reefs. One day it's plain sailing. The next kind of crunch, you lose your job. You become sick. You get the dreaded diagnosis or whatever it might be. These things will and do come to us in different forms. So when life gets tough, James says we're to do something. There's an imperative here. There's an exhortation, a command, a call to action. This is what you are to do in those situations. Because naturally, we might do something, but he's kind of saying, no, this is what I'm encouraging you to do, and in fact, this is what the Lord tells you to do in these situations. This letter is like packed with imperatives. As I've said, it's a very kind of doing letter. Every other sentence, on average, has an exhortation to do something in it. It results in action. Being a Christian leads us into action. And this very first imperative is this. Count it. Count it. Don't just go with your feelings. Don't just let your feelings run down old ruts. Train your train of thought. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds. Count it. Do something in that situation when you fall into trials and troubles. Earlier this week, I felt the Lord put into my mind this expression, the doing that does us good. The doing that does us good. Sometimes when we read the Bible, you might feel you start to get weighed down. I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And it's good to step back from that and say, actually, the Lord tells us to do things in order that that he would do us good in the doing of them. Jesus said, it's not just hearing my word, that kind of you're blessed. I mean, you can hear it and walk away, and it changes nothing. He says, do it. Put it into practice. And the reason the Lord wants us to put 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 these things into practice is it would do us good. He wants us to step into the good that he has for us. And so it is with this command. It's not to weigh us down with something difficult that makes our lives harder. It's that he would fill us with joy. He would share his joy with us. He wants to do us good. Doesn't mean that the doing is easy or doesn't come with a cost. But the Lord is asking us to do these things, to do us good. This is the doing that does us good. So what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to consider it pure joy, to reckon it, to understand correctly, to interpret rightly, to make a decision, to see the situation a certain way. When we experience trials, the real battle is for the narrative. The the battle is to understand what's happening to us and the pain we're experiencing in the right story, the real story, in light of the truth of what is actually going on. The meaning and significance we attach to our pain is very powerful. It's a powerful motivator. Because when we experience suffering, it's so important that we take hold of this and we see rightly, we understand it in the right context, because we're very prone to lies. As soon as we suffer, as soon as we experience pain, we have an enemy who will lie to us, who will take advantage of of that, who will speak to us things that aren't true. God doesn't care about you. You see? You see how much pain you're experiencing. You, you prayed about that. You asked about that. You trusted. See what's happening to you. He doesn't care about you. It's a lie. But we're vulnerable at that point if we don't take control of the narrative. If we don't understand the reality of what is going on, if we don't illuminate our lives with God's word, we're susceptible to this lie. God hates you. He doesn't like you. Maybe you even think he's punishing you. Maybe you don't think he exists at all in light of what you're experiencing. We're not seeing things rightly, but it, it feels right at the time because of the pain we experience. James is saying, no, do something at that point. Do something. Take control of your thinking. Submit your thinking to God's word. And think rightly. Now, It's important, uh, lots of, I just feel, to take care over this Um, passage. I'm aware of the different situations that that many of us are walking through right now, and the real challenge that there is, and that causes me to take care and be careful and not not kind of produce a caricature of what is here. But it also also gives me, I, I, I so want us to hear what God is saying, because it's so important. This is the very thing that we need to hear when we're experiencing trials of many kinds. But one thing that is not being said here is we're not being asked to manufacture emotions. It's not like someone says to you, I'd cheer up, because that doesn't work. I wish we could change our emotions as we wake up in the morning. You know, do you choose what to wear? Oh, I think I'll, uh, I chose this uh, nice stripy summery shirt this morning and uh, put it on. Great, fantastic. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could choose our emotions like that? What shall I be this morning? How shall I feel this morning? Oh, I was uh, yeah. I was quite. I was a bit sad yesterday. Do you know what? I think today. I think I'll be happy. I think I'll be joy. I think we joyful today. And uh, maybe we're just perhaps a a, a tinge of uh, edgy irritability just in there for good for good measure, like a little tie. You know. Well, what shall I wear today? What what, what am I going to feel today? It's just not how it it works. Not in my life anyway. As we're not being asked to manufacture emotions. We're being asked to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We're being asked to make a decision of the will to trust what the Lord says and to live in the light of it and to reckon and understand our experience in the light of that. Now, even so, this requires further explanation, and James gives it as he goes on in this, uh, these few verses. He goes on in verse, um, verse 3, Because you know, there is something that you know that allows you to do this. We're not being asked to do something ridiculous, and that makes no sense. There's a point at which we are going to need to trust the Lord in it, but certain things have been revealed to us, and there's an aspect here that is revealed to us that helps us in this. Many of these Christians, in fact, that James is writing to, were experiencing the pain and difficulty of persecution. That was beginning to break out amongst the church. Many of them had to flee their homes. They had to leave their homes. They were beginning to be in financial hardship and experiencing other kinds of hardship for following Jesus. They were beginning to learn something. They needed to hear this. In fact, James may have been reminding them of this, saying, this is what you know. You know. There's something that we need to know too if we're to understand things rightly and count it all joy when we experience trials of many kinds. He goes on, second half of verse three, because the testing of your faith. This is what is going on. There's a testing of your faith which is happening here, which is helpful to know because particularly in a book which has often been criticized by some for being sort of heavy on doing, but really kind of undermining any sense of faith. Here, um, and these things are often pitted in contrast to one another, but here, right at the start, we're under the bonnet of this letter. And right at the start, we have this sense of faith, the importance of faith, the foundational nature of faith. Faith is trusting that what God says is true. In fact, deeper than that, it's trusting that he himself is intrinsically faithful and trustworthy. And therefore, what he says is true. This is faith. This is this is what faith is. It's trusting the Lord. This is the very trust that was broken in the fall at the beginning of the Bible. We have this account of man and women creating the image of God, deciding. Do you know what? I'm not going to go with what God says. I'm going to go with how things appear, and how I feel. And suddenly, something was so catastrophically broken that we now live in this fallen world with uh, all these things that we're now painfully aware of. Such is the importance of of trusting God, the, the congruity, the, the everything fitting together. When, when we trust him, things work out. When we don't, there's catastrophic consequences. Because God, who spoke the world into being, is fundamentally faithful and true. And when we don't trust him, things just don't work out the way that they should. And right here at the beginning, James is saying it's faith that is of supreme importance. And what is going on is the most profound thing possible. There's a challenge that's coming to our faith. Will we trust God? And of course, wonderfully, we're restored to a right relationship with God as we trust him. That's the gospel. The gospel is not do this 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 and this. The, the gospel is well, it's turn away from from living life as you see fit, as your uh, own desires, as your own uh, experience and your own kind of interpretation on the world. Don't live life like that anymore. Live life trusting in God and what he says about this world. Trust him. In fact, supremely, if you want to come back into right relationship with God, it's trusting that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. It's trusting that Jesus died the death that you deserved for walking away from God, for living apart from him, for doing things that were not right. We trust in Jesus that he was punished for our sin, that he died on the cross. It's trust, it's through trust that we come back into right relationship with God. We trust that it's Jesus, his resurrection is our guarantee of being raised to new life. We have his relationship with God as our heavenly father. We come into that through faith. It's all by faith. This is the importance of faith, and James knows it. He goes on to talk about how that results in action. And in fact, one of the ways it results in action, we'll we'll just see in just a moment. But right now, just to make the point, as we experience trials, we are pressed more deeply into this life of faith. As our faith is tested, if we're trusting in God, actually when trials come, we'll be pressed more deeply into trusting God through them. And we'll say with the Apostle Paul, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the life that we're to live. And as trials come, we're pressed into this life. Jesus is our ultimate source of inexhaustible joy. We trust in him When we face trials of many kinds, we can rejoice that we live by faith in the Son of God, that nothing can separate us from his love, because it's by faith, it's by trusting in him. No matter how we've messed up or what we've done, as we trust in Jesus, there's a joy that can come to us. The Bible talks about with joy, um, drawing water from the wells of salvation. As we remember this wonderful relationship with God that we've been brought into, not by what we've done, but simply by trusting in Jesus and what he's done for us. This is a source of joy. It's a source of joy to me. And so many things could, we could imagine might disqualify us from it. What you've even done this morning, perhaps, or what you said yesterday. But it's a source of joy to me, and I'm sure to many here, that actually is simply by faith. It's by faith. I'm, I used to struggle with assurance of salvation. I don't know about you. And I used to think, oh, do I... Do I Have I done enough? Do I believe enough? And then I realized that if I simply point to Jesus and say it's because of him that I'm loved by God, it's because of him that I have a relationship with God. It's because of him that I know God as my heavenly father. It's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. And that is the answer to any accusation that could come to me. And it's the same for you if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus. It's him. It's all him. It's all him. I don't need to start making excuses for myself. I don't even need to start trying harder. It's just him. I'm trusting in him. And there's the core and the heart of faith. And that's it. I'm in relationship with God. My sins are forgiven because of trusting in Jesus. Now it leads to adventures and it leads to Sometimes very costly decisions as we make in life. But that's the heart of it. But under the bonnet here, this is the life that we live. We live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and died for me. This is where we draw joy from the wells of salvation. This life of faith that we live. And as we experience challenging difficulties, it presses us deeper into this life of faith. We have this lantern of the gospel to shine even in the darkest situations and circumstances. And it's often in these dark situations that faith shines more brightly. The faith is even kindled and formed in these difficult and challenging situations. I wonder how many here actually started following Jesus at a very difficult time in your life. I wonder if, if the Lord worked through it and used it to bring you to a knowledge of him. Certainly that was the case in my life. Now just moving on to this, um, actually still, we're still in verse 3, it produces steadfastness. As we, as, we, as we trust God through trials, you might think that trials are a danger to the Christian. And this, this doesn't seem to say that to me. This, this says that genuine faith, when trials come, look, look what happens. Look how genuine faith it begins to express itself. It produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is endurance. Steadfastness is not giving up. When you put your trust in Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you're instantly transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're instantly forgiven. You instantly become a child of God. It's just immediate. I remember the time that I kind of said, Lord Jesus, I trust in you for my, uh, for my for, for forgiveness of sins and to come into relationship with God. I remember that time. I, was, I almost expected to look different or to have a little halo that appeared above my head and a little beep, or at least something to happen. Nothing happened. I looked exactly the same afterwards as before. And nevertheless, my eternal destiny had now begun. I had been been transformed in that moment. And yet, it's as we trust Jesus through the challenges and difficulties of our life that we are increasingly transformed, that people can see a difference. They begin to scratch their heads and say, how come you're acting the way that you are? How come you haven't turned away from Jesus? They begin to see this faith manifest in your life as you trust Jesus through challenges and difficulties. As one commentator put it, perseverance, though essential to faith, is not infused immediately in a moment of conversion. Only through great ardour and the stumbling pursuit of the goal laid before it, and only through sustained service in spite of opposition, does perseverance come. Endurance comes, steadfastness comes, stickability comes, faith comes, plus trials, equals steadfastness. This is a source of reassurance to me, and I'm sure it is to you, that as I face difficulties, and who knows what life, what, what life has for me as I look ahead. Challenges and difficulties, and good things as well, I trust, and for each one of us. But here's a security, and in fact joy, can be had in the knowledge that actually the, the God who started a good work in me will finish it to completion. That this faith that's been born in me will actually work itself out in steadfastness as the challenges come. And as they do, of course, we become more like Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. And so as we experience difficulty and challenge, we lift our eyes to Jesus, we, we, we remember and bring to mind that he endured suffering and pain for us, for the joy set before him. And we can endure too for the joy set before us. We can trust that we are being transformed to be like him. This is what God is like. We have a God revealed in Jesus who endures difficulty and challenge and pain and suffering for us, for the joy set before him. And we can endure for the joy that's set before us just want to finish we're, we're, we're coming into land in terms of this final imperative, a second imperative, even in these first two uh, verses. It says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Basically, don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe you've come this morning and you're thinking, I'm just not sure I can go another step further. I'm not sure I can go into tomorrow. I'm not sure I can go into the day after. There's an encouragement here. And God's encouragement, God's word, comes with the power to live it out, the power to do it, saying don't give up, keep going, keep trusting him, he is, you will be vindicated, your trust in the Lord Jesus will be vindicated one day, trust in him right now, even when things don't seem to line up, keep going for one day, for a week, for a year, for 10 years, for 90 years, each day you will find grace to continue to trust him through your situation and circumstances, and as we do, there is an authenticity that comes to us, as what we believe increasingly lines up with how we think and how we live and what we do. There's a wonderful completeness and wholeness that comes to us in these situations. I've spoken quite in general terms. I'm hoping that you're you're applying them to specific situations that you're walking through and thinking about them. And please, in life groups, as you meet during the week, do be thinking and talking and helping one another with these things. But just to touch upon one practical outworking of this, We can learn from the Psalms. The Lord doesn't leave us to kind of work this thing out and say, how how does that work out in my life? I want to direct you to the Psalms right in the heart of the Bible. These Psalms are an example of walking and finding joy in difficult circumstances and situations. The Psalms teach us to be raw and real with the Lord, not to pretend that things are okay, not to not bring our troubles and our questions to him, but exactly to bring them to him. And who else... Are we going to bring them too? We can talk with one another, of course, but we need to be authentic and real with God and say, I don't understand. This is painful. Why did, why did this happen? I feel this way. I feel broken. I feel like this thing's life is crashing over me right now. I don't know that I can last into another day. The Psalms teach us to be real with the Lord, to ask the difficult questions of him. They give us permission to do that. But the Psalms wonderfully also lead us into that place of faith. But yet... I will trust in you, but yet I know that you will bring me through. There's a wonderful sense in the Psalms they're beautifully, they're prayer, they're prophecy, they are praise, all kind of bundled in together. And this is what we need as we walk through challenging circumstances. There's a wonderful way in which the Psalms, often as you're reading them, they just spill their banks in terms of the, the, uh, the magnitude of what is being said there. It kind of doesn't really fit in the original context almost. There's something bigger being spoken about. And of course, we can look back and see how much of the Psalms actually spoke about what happened when, when, the, when God sent Jesus. He fulfills much of what is being spoken about in the Psalms. And yet even now we can have that sense of trusting God, not really seeing it. How on earth can this be made right? How on earth can, can, can God do something in order that would make this uh, bring good out of this situation? I can't see it. I can't see it. And so we need to pray with the Psalms in this sense of, I don't see it. I see in part but I know one day there's a weight of glory to be revealed. I know somehow that the Lord is going to redeem this situation and bring a wonderful, glorious good out of it. Often we don't even have a hint of that in this life, but the Psalms teach us to do that. The Lord is working and will work a glorious, eternal good through all things in his sovereignty. And coincidentally, I just heard uh, uh, this week that our King's Dailies are now going to be going through the Psalms which just fits wonderfully. I want to encourage you. Just, I don't know what the word is. Is it tune in, click in, go onto our, our YouTube channel and follow along with the Psalms and learn from the Psalms. We 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 want to be praying like the Psalms every day as we step into the adventures and challenges that each one of us faith uh, face. This is the way to find joy in the trials and difficulties and count it all joy. Again, it's not an emotion we're being asked to manufacture. Count it, joy. It's something that happens in our mind, in our will. We decide to see things in the right way, in the light of God's revelation, how things really are. Let me encourage you, go through the psalms, pray the psalms, learn to express psalms in your own words. As, um, hopefully we will run redemption again uh, soon. We're kind of planning to, to run that again. I know many of you have gone through redemption. One of the key things, again, we do on redemption is we write our own psalms. We learn to pray like the psalmists pray, to express our pain and our hurt to the Lord, but also to take hold of his promises and pray them out. We're not praying how we feel, we're praying in the light of truth. In case you think this is a strange, um, odd idea that we're coming across here, it's actually repeated time and time again uh, in the pages of the, the Bible and the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about the same thing from different angles. Peter talks about the same thing from different angles. They're teaching us this truth that we need to know so desperately in this fallen world that we can rejoice in our trials because the Lord is refining our faith in them. He's maturing our character through them. He's pouring out his love into our hearts as we walk through them. He's imparting his wisdom. This, uh, if we were to read on and have time, we'd go on and see how wisdom is, is, is imparted here as well. He's drawing us to Jesus, embedding us in this life of faith that we might share in the sufferings of Christ, which is a glorious thing. He's making us more like Jesus as he does that. One day we'll be transformed, but in part that is working out now, and it works out often through the difficulties that we face. He's increasing our effectiveness in bringing in his kingdom and building his church through these things. He is working in them. They're not, um, they're not things that he has to go round. He's so sovereign and powerful that he works right through them. Even as he worked through Jesus being crucified on the cross, right through the heart of that, he was bringing a wonderful greater good and he is heightening our hope through them. As the lights go out, we search more keenly for the hope that we have in the future. And such is the hope that we have that it actually brings, uh, empowers us right now as we think about how God is going to bring everything together at Jesus' return. In uh, verse 12, it's kind of brackets this whole passage in chapter 1. James talks about the crown of life, receiving the crown of life as we endure through the challenges and difficulties. We will receive a crown of life, and that crown of life has been described as the fullness of human destiny in relationship with God. We taste something of it now, even in the challenge and difficulty, but one day we'll know it fully, and we'll go, I'm so glad that I trusted the Lord through those difficult circumstances and situations. I now see something of what he's done through them. I now see that was the right thing to do. So be encouraged by this. I want encourage, maybe the band could come back. Let me just summarize, and then I, I want an opportunity just to pray for different ones. Even in the trials and tragedies of this life, the believer has reason to rejoice. That's what James is teaching us here. That's what the Lord is directing our attention to. In fact, especially in them. Especially in them. Not because they're good in themselves, neither because of some thin slither of a silver lining that we may or may not see in this life. Often we don't see how God is working in these things. That's not why we rejoice. But rather we know that the Lord is working gloriously, powerfully, redemptively through them in every aspect of our lives, good and bad, to bring about our good and his glory and to perfect everything and put everything under Jesus' feet. He is working through all of it to do that. Now, this is only perceptible by faith. You often can't see. You can't feel. But God has given us his word to illuminate our path. So we can see something by faith right now and trust him. And so it is by faith in the goodness and love and grace and power of God displayed in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus that we can count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds I wonder if we might stand to our feet, if you're able, right now. I, I would love the opportunity to pray for different ones of us right now who are walking through trials and difficulties, who are, are experiencing life as, as, as robbers and reefs. Life just seems to be crashing over you. You're not quite sure how you're going to make it. We, we're going to pray. Well, first of all, we're going to pray that that ends. <laughs> Because we, we don't want to go through those things. And actually, God, God doesn't want us to go through those things. If they're not, but, he, but he can also sustain us through them by his joy. So we're going to pray. Our heart for you, my heart for you, is that they would end. I'm going to pray very honestly. Lord, would you break in? Will this illness go? Will this, will this difficulty be resolved? Will this pain disappear? Lord, would, you, would your kingdom break in now? When Jesus went around, he went around healing people. When Jesus, he, he did, all those, did all those things, didn't he? He didn't just say, well, th- we'll just go through it. It's going to serve for, for some other purpose. He didn't. He healed people. And we, we're people that want to see justice roll out amongst us. We want to see things done rightly. We want to see lives lived rightly. But also we know that we can pray and that we should pray. And this side of Jesus' return, we will always be praying for, Lord, would you work a wonderful good through it? And would you, would you enable us to see to trust you in it, and to with joy draw water from the wells of salvation, and to be transformed to be more like you in it, and to glorify you in this by the way that we walk. And Lord, would you give us the power, because it's a supernatural deal, the power to reckon things differently to everybody else. We're going to pray that for you as well. And emotions come and they go, but as God's word goes out, he always gives us the ability to do what he's asking us to do. So as we begin to worship right now, if you're feeling just a challenge of life and you would love us to pray that it would, the Lord would be merciful and gracious to you, then I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. And I think there are probably one or two life group leaders and uh, other leaders that could uh, stand with us and do it. So I don't know if you've got a, a, a song that we could worship with. And um, do, please, let's pray for one another. The power has gone out to do these things but we're also exhorted to pray for one another. So let's do that this morning as we start a new term together as we step into the adventures that the Lord has for us.